0: I mean a cowboy. I mean it was a statue of a ninja, and he was wearing a top hat. He was holding a sign that said, welcome friends, but in Chinese. This truly is the most awesomest statue in the world, said the guy. So he tried to take the statue into his house, but it wouldn't fit through the door. He was really upset that the most awesomest statue in the world wouldn't fit in his awesome house, but in the end, the guy couldn't take it anymore, so he blew up his house. Then he built a new house around the awesomest statue in the world. When he was finished, he realized his house had never actually been awesome, but now it really was awesome. Thanks, statue, said the guy. The moral of the story is, when you rearrange your life around truth, Everything else makes sense. Or don't just assume your house is awesome if it doesn't have a ninja statue.
1: Father, thank you for simple truth. Sometimes it's the silliest and it's the simplest that actually speaks loudly. Father, we thank you for the truth of who you are the truth of your word i pray that as we begin our journey through matthew 5 through 7 and as we talk about where we're going to be going father and as we open up your word tonight i pray that burning coals would touch my lips that you would hide me in the cleft of the rock for father i as you well know am chief of sinners and i need your burning coals to touch my lips that i could even be worthy to open your word so I pray that you hide me, and only you and you alone would speak tonight. I pray that you would wash away from my mind any words that, that I would want to say that are my own, and that only what you would want would be said for your glory and for our good. Oh, Father, I love you. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Silly, but it is profoundly true. The moral of the story is... When you rearrange your life around truth, everything makes sense. Or, (laughs) don't just assume your house is awesome if it doesn't have a ninja statue. Life on this earth presents us with two options. Two possible ways to arrange our life. And in the next nine weeks, we're going to have an opportunity to rearrange our lives around an awesome truth an eternal reality that will cause everything else in our life to finally make sense. Through the person of Jesus Christ, God has himself has broken into history, and he has invited us to live within him, to find a truth that will make everything make sense. We can choose to believe this truth and begin to let him arrange our lives around this reality that God is with us, or we can choose to believe the other moral of the story, the moral that shouts for our attention, that we just need something specific, and maybe a ninja statue with a welcome sign in Chinese. That will make our house the most awesomest, our lives, our homes. In this earthly kingdom that we live in every day, we are being sent constant messages, well-meaning friends, who walk by and tell us, mm, Your life's not really that awesome. You need one more thing. You're missing something. In our desire to find inner joy and contentment and the peace that we've actually been created for and that we crave, we start rearranging our lives around the newest and the greatest thing that promises awesomeness. Sometimes it's accomplishment, sometimes it's security, sometimes it's money, appreciation, admiration, power, relationships, physical beauty, health, a strong self-image. These are many of the statues, just some of them, that we're willing sometimes to even blow up our lives over because we're so sure that's the thing that will make us happy. We're sometimes willing to let the rest of our life get ex- explode in order to grab that statue. Why are we willing to do this? I believe we're willing to do this because in the deepest place of our hearts, we know we've been created for more. There's a longing within us for more. There's a sense that we were created to have that inner joy, that contentment, that peace, that satisfaction. There is a longing within our hearts that isn't quite satisfied. And it's never going to be satisfied apart from the kingdom. See, as Thomas Aquinas said, man cannot live without joy. Therefore, when he is deprived of true spiritual joys, it is necessary that he become addicted to carnal pleasures. We have been created for spiritual joy. And when we are denied that spiritual joy, we will feed our lives with carnal pleasures. Statues of ninjas wearing signs. C.S. Lewis says, joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is not the serious business of this life on earth, apart from the kingdom. Joy is the serious business of heaven. And the good news of Jesus Christ is, is that he has broken into this earth. God in flesh has come and dwelt among us. And the serious business of heaven, the joy of heaven, is now here for us to become a part of. In the book of Matthew, that we are going to be looking at, when we see at the beginning of Matthew, in Matthew 1, we see the, the beginning of Christ coming to this earth, God breaking into history through, the, through his son. And you you may be familiar, especially with Christmas time, of the story of Mary and the miraculous conception of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. The angel of the Lord tells Joseph, who she was betrothed to. And she, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Ladies, even think about that. For just a moment and let it blow your mind. God with us. God had promised throughout the history of his people that he was going to send a Messiah, that he was going to send a deliverer. God has broken into history. God is with us. Immediately after Jesus' baptism and temptation, when he begins his earthly ministry, this God with us, he announces the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom that had been promised long ago was now on the threshold, and he was there to inaugurate it. With him, a new age had dawned, a new relationship with the Father God, and the rule of God able to break into our lives, to take our heart of stone and to give us a heart of flesh, to change us from the inside out for the very first time. And what was Jesus' message? His first message as he began his earthly ministry? Repent for the kingdom is at hand. Repent, God is here. His kingdom has broken into earth. For us to experience that inner joy for which we've been created, for us to find that satisfaction, that serious business of heaven, we will be asked by Jesus first to repent. And this word repent in this passage means to walk away from something, to change our mind about something, There's another word for repent in the Greek that has to do with a a sorrow over sin and bad choices. This is a little bit different, almost a little bit deeper. It means to change your mind. It would include being sorrowful about sinful choices. But it means to completely turn around and change your whole paradigm. Change what you're rearranging your life around. Jesus is calling us to rearrange our lives around a new truth. And this will require removing from our lives, walking away from our statues. Dallas Willard says that Jesus' comment here is, is a call this is this repent for the kingdom is at hand this is a call for us to reconsider how we have been approaching our life in light of the fact that now in the presence of jesus we have the option of living within the surrounding movements of god's eternal purposes of taking our life into his life that's really huge let's go slow this is a call for us to reconsider how we have been approaching our life to turn and to change In light of the fact that in the presence of Jesus, we have the option now of living within the surrounding movements of God. God is at work right now in this room. And we have the option now, because of Jesus Christ, because of his death on the cross, and the gift of his Holy Spirit, we now have the option to jump in and join God in what he is doing here on earth. It's just amazing to have eternal purpose for our life, of taking our life into his life. Talk about a truth to arrange your life around that will cause everything to make sense. We get to live within the surrounding movements of God to experience the inner joy for which we have been created. But again, this means we will have to walk away from our statues, our pursuit of statues, And the things that we have previously arranged our life around. We have to allow our queendom to be overthrown. To enter the kingdom. So I think it's really helpful for us to look at Matthew 4 and to look at the things that Jesus asked his original hearers to turn from because we're no different. There's nothing new under the sun, Ecclesiastes tells us. Mankind is the very same as he was when he was created. And I think that we will see within Jesus' original hearers our own statues, our own call to repent. First, we see that Jesus calls people to repent from themselves, from their plans, from what they thought their life should be, their five-year, 10-year, 20-year plan. Matthew four eighteen through 19, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Wow. Are you willing to drop your plan? Your title and follow me. Matthew four, twenty-one to twenty two, and going on from there he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their gnats, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. These men walked away from their identity. They walked away from their plan. And as you look through the pages of the Gospels, you will find that God's plan for them was so much larger than their own and so much greater. Jesus asked them to walk away from their self-determination, again, their plan for themselves. We cannot experience God's eternal purposes if we're stuck on our material purposes. We will not experience God's eternal purposes if we are stuck in our material purposes. We will limit God and we will miss out on the movement of his kingdom right here and right around us. Sometimes he doesn't change our five-year, 10-year, 20-year plan. Sometimes he just empowers it and makes it completely more alive and powerful. And sometimes he changes the plan completely, but it's always for our glory, for his glory and our good. So this repent here is a call to turn from arranging our lives around our accomplishments, our titles, to turn away from the lie that our plan for our life will make our life awesome. To turn away from the lie that our plan for our life will make our life awesome. Only God's plan for your life will make your life awesome. He asked them to turn from self. He also asked them to turn from sin and self-righteousness. And we're going to see this a lot in Matthew 5-7. through Matthew 4, 23a, and Jesus went through all of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And what was the gospel, the good news? Gospel means good news. What was the good news of the kingdom? This is an amazing kingdom. God has broken into earth. But guess what? Unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you can't enter into it. Ouch, that's bad news. I don't know about you guys, but that's bad news. Now, Pharisees and, and Sadducees were the religious leaders of the day. They were the top dogs. They were the most respected in the community. They were the most devout, set-apart, holy. It's like Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, and Lee Strobel, all wrapped into one. I mean, they had apologetics and compassion and evangelism. They were the religious leaders. And Jesus is saying, This is the good news of the kingdom. You got to be better than these guys, and then you can come on in. Bad news. Good news. I have died, and I have fulfilled perfection. And I will give you my spirit so that your righteousness will exceed them, because it will be a righteousness of the heart an inner change, a heart of flesh for a heart of stone instead of a bunch of good deeds that make you look good on the outside. This is what he asks us to turn away from, is self-righteousness. I love that the Holy Spirit is our disturber before he is our comforter. You can't do it, but I can. This is a repent, this is a call to, to stop arranging our lives around our goodness. Jesus is saying, stop arranging your life around your goodness, around your good deeds, around looking good in front of other people, or being religious. Stop measuring yourself by how many blankets you give to the poor and, and, and how many homeless you feed and, and how, how devout you are with Lent or whatever else you want. You're giving, you're tithing. Walk away from the lie that your good deeds make your life awesome. A changed heart is the only thing that will make your life awesome. Let me, who died for you, empower you. He also asked them to turn from their suffering, to let go of their their suffering identity, the things that they, they suffered from, and be willing to let his power change them. Matthew 4:23B and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. He was calling the people to say, "Are you willing to believe that you can be healed?" This was big in his day, as big, bigger probably than it even is in our day people who were sick and diseased, and this, this is the people who were oppressed by demons. This is emotional sickness, this is affliction, this is um, disability. Any kind of sickness or disease you can imagine. Jesus had the power to heal. But people had to want to be healed. Jesus said in, in John 5 6, when he saw a man lying there who had been there, he knew for a long time, he said to the man, Do you want to be healed? Jesus comes to us in our suffering and he says, Are you willing to walk away from it and be healed by me? Now, this doesn't mean I'm going to heal you physically, it may be that I need, heal you of the need to be healed. For years we prayed for our baby girl to be healed. I have a daughter that's severely disabled. I prayed for two or three years, weekly, daily, with groups of women, laid hands, took her to healing services. I believed God could heal her. I still believe he could heal her in this very moment if he wanted to. But I thought that was the only healing God could do was to fix her body and fix her mind. And finally, after about two and a half years, I prayed to God and said, you know, maybe you might want to heal me of the need to have her healed. And he answered that instantly. Instantly. Sometimes we have to be willing to be healed of the need to be healed. And in that is freedom. Jesus can heal any disease. He can heal any affliction. He can heal any pain. He may not heal it the way we ask him to heal it but there is healing because the kingdom is here. In this culture at this time, if you had a disease or affliction, your life was arranged around it because you were no longer welcome in the temple. You were an outcast even by your own family because they believed that sickness and disease was a result of sin. And you'll see that in your study this week that those who Jesus healed were the, were. The, were the spiritual zeros of his society because they were assumed to be sinners for their sickness. It was their identity. They had no hope. They had no future. Ladies, we don't live in a culture quite that extreme, but we are often tempted to let our suffering become our identity. We are often allow whatever it is that pains us, whether it's emotional, physical, or spiritual, to consume us. And Jesus is asking us, are we willing to repent of that? Are we willing to repent of our brokenness being our identity and letting our identity be instead in Christ? See, Jesus is calling us to repent, to stop arranging our lives around what we think of ourselves, to turn away from the lie that we are forever stuck being what we've always been. We are not stuck being what we've always been. Again, he may not miraculously heal you of what ails you, but he can heal your heart, your attitude, your perspective. So these are how he wants to overthrow us. And then he wants to bring us into that kingdom. From queendom to kingdom, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is so amazing that he can overthrow our suffering and he can instead give us sweetness. We can experience God's presence. We can experience that sweetness, that contentment, that peace that I felt the day I finally said, Lord, can you just heal me of the need to have her healed instead? What a sweetness came that day. And what we'll see as we study this Matthew 5 through 7 is that Jesus taught in the midst of raw humanity. He was among the most despised, the most outcasted, and they hung on his every word he used a show and tell method of teaching when he taught. Nobody needed a pencil to write it down, because he was at work as he spoke. Nobody during the ma- I, I can guarantee you that when Jesus spoke the words in Matthew five through seven, no one took notes. They didn't need to take notes because what he was saying was happening right in front of them. There was evidence that God is real. In Luke 4, 18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The serious business of heaven has broken into earth. When I first became a believer, I was in high school. And I used, to, I used to kind of assuade my doubts. You know, you have those doubts. I, every once in a while, I think, am I in a cult? <laughs> what do I believe? Why do I believe this? And, and was I just having a weak moment, and people throw that stuff out at you, like, oh, it's just a crutch? And, and of course, my parents wanted to um, institutionalize me because they did think I was in a cult. And when I had all those doubts, I knew enough about the faith, and I had read enough to know that all of those who were the closest to Jesus either died a martyr's death or were willing to die a martyr's death. I mean, John's the only one, and he was, he was isolated on an island for his faith. But the rest of the disciples, those who were closest to him, that followed him and were a part of his earthly ministry, they all died a martyr's death. Some of them were, were crucified, even crucified upside down, speared. I mean, if you look at the history, you can see how these men willingly died. And all they had to say was, uncle. Jesus wasn't God. That's all they had to say. In fact, people wanted them to say that so they could dispel the, the way, the truth that was, that was flying through, through, the, uh, through the people. And so this used to bring me great comfort when I would have my doubts. I would think, well, gosh, if they were willing to die for it, it's got to be true. Well, you know what, ladies? I don't need that anymore. Now that I've been a believer for a bazillion years, <laughs> I won't tell you how old I am now, i have gotten to see evidence that god is alive in my own lifetime i don't have to look back at history and say god is alive because peter was willing to be crucified upside down for him i now know god is alive because of melanie i know god's alive because of renee i know god's alive because of helene i know god's alive because of deanna I know God's alive because of Sharon and Jordan and Diana and the list goes on. Lori Scott, I'm looking at her. I have seen God work in your lives in ways that are only explained by the Spirit. I have seen the blind see, blinded by sin, see the truth of the gospel and their lives change. Shauna, where is she? Shauna. It's just amazing to me, God is real. I have seen broken hearts that look like they could never mend, mend. Only God can do that. That's much harder than somebody lame walking, isn't it? I have seen broken people become whole, at least partly whole. I mean, we'll only experience complete wholeness in eternity, right? But miracles before my very eyes, as God has privileged me to walk with some of you And I am so grateful for your lives and for how they evidence this reality. Ladies, there's women at your table right now that are these same people that Jesus healed. And you have this incredible experience, this incredible opportunity, if you take it, to know these women and to know that God is alive, that he has broken into history. And to know it because you are going to see people who are once stuck in suffering now experiencing sweetness are they all fixed no did they all get Cinderella happy endings no but they're experiencing the healing power of the serious business of heaven breaking in to their lives these lives proclaim the year of our Lord's favor what about ours what about yours what about mine their lives ask me what about mine Many of us have to look back to see evidence that we're God's. God doesn't want us to look back. He wants us to know today because we have turned and we've allowed him to invade us and change us. You know that bumper sticker that says, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven? Now, if you have this on your car, I don't mean to insult you, but that one bothers me. We are more than just forgiven. First of all, I like the word just. Forgiven's is pretty huge. We aren't perfect. I'll I'll agree with that part. But we are so much more than forgiven. First of all, forgiven's huge. But we have more than that. We have the presence of God in our life every day if we choose to step in it. Dallas Willard, I love the way he puts it. He says, does Jesus only enable me to make the cut when I die or to know what to protest or how to vote or agitate or organize? It is good to know that when I die, all will be well, but is there any good news for life? If I had to choose, I would rather have a car that runs good instead of insurance on one that doesn't. Isn't that Christians are perfect just forgiven? Don't you want more than just insurance on a car that's not running well? We settle for salvation, which is an incredible gift, but we're asking the question, what about now? well, the kingdom is here. It is here. So God wants to overthrow our suffering and bring us to sweetness. He also wants to overthrow our self-determination and bring us to surrender, to experience his kingdom purposes, not just his power in our life or his presence, but his purposes. And his purposes for us are bigger than they are we have for ourselves. And these purposes are outlined in Matthew 5 through 7. It is the most complete list of God's purposes for you. It is incredible. But for us to really experience God's purpose in our life, we have got to resist taking apart Matthew 5 through 7, picking and choosing which parts we like. We will make it too small. Many of you are like, I'm going the week we talk about judge not lest you be judged. But I'll stay home on the week about Lust or anxiety or worry. We have to be so careful not to take Matthew 5 through 7 apart and just take the parts we like. It will be too small. This message is whole. And if it's to function as Jesus intended it, we need to see it as an entire message that builds upon itself. Otherwise, we'll just turn it into our new fishing project, our new life plan. Jesus does not want us to take his word and turn it into a life plan. It is intended to change us from the inside out. Not to be doing, but to be becoming. We're not to take it apart and take what we like and apply it how we like. This whole judge not lest you be judged is probably one of the most misquoted verses in scripture. You're going to find many of them in the Sermon on the Mount. Misused and misquoted passages because... They aren't taken as a whole, in context, the way Jesus intended. They are heard with our own ideas in mind, and each pearl of wisdom is just lost. The Sermon on the Mount is a musical composition. It's a symphony, and it's intended to be heard in its entirety. And ladies, can I tell you that the first two weeks are the most important in your lesson? You're going to hate me this week. You're going to say it's hard. Resist the temptation to whine. (laughs) But it's foundational. The Beatitudes are foundational. If we don't get those, then we might as well stop reading. We have to get it. So plow through it. Do your best. If you don't understand a question, draw a line through it and say, Patty's crazy. But keep moving through it. God will show you. It may be one question a day that God will speak to you through one passage. And that's all right. Just keep plowing through it. And ask God to reveal to you what he wants you to see and then, and then take it in. Let him transform you with it. So we have to resist taking it apart, and we have to resist doing it instead of being it. Oh, gosh, we so much just do want a plan. We want to take Matthew 5 through 7 and turn it into a plan. God doesn't want us to do something. He wants us to become something. The most disastrous and common practice is to see the Sermon on the Mount as a bunch of new laws. It's not a bunch of new laws. We will become self-sufficient and self-righteous Pharisees if we turn it into a bunch of new laws. Or we will become so disillusioned by how challenging it is that we will walk away and stop showing up. (laughs) For what Jesus asks of us in Matthew 5-7 through is absolutely impossible. We can't turn it into a bunch of laws. We have to ask for a heart change first. The point of the Sermon on the Mount is not to cause us to despair. It's to cause us to give hope. Because Jesus died to enable us to become what he talks about. He has given us himself so that we might become kingdom women and not do kingdom laws. He has come to give us a new heart. Oswald Chambers says, Beware of placing our Lord as a teacher first. If Jesus Christ is a teacher only then all he can do is tantalize me by erecting a standard I cannot attain. I must know Jesus as Savior, don't miss this, before any of his teaching has any meaning for me other than that of an idea which leads to despair. But when I am born again of the Spirit of God, I know that Jesus Christ did not come to teach only. He came to make me what he teaches I should be. Jesus is not our teacher first he's our savior and when he saves us from our sin when we place our faith in him the power of the cross he gives us his spirit and he changes us savior first then teacher and this will cause us to be set apart to be have our sin overthrown and to be set apart to be different to be changed we will experience the kingdom's power its resurrection power See, there's a dynamic to the kingdom jesus said here it is he is calling us to to experience our oughtness i love that word have you ever heard that word before do you know that you have an oughtness you were created for something you were created to be something you have an oughtness And the presence of God is here to enable you to experience your oughtness. And your oughtness means you're going to be different. You're going to be changed. Your whole life is going to be rearranged around a truth, and it's going to make sense. And you will finally experience that inner joy. We will live in direct contrast to what we have known, both in the world and even in the church in many cases. Ladies, this has become so real to me. This summer, writing this study and spending time with the gals that were editing it, it has transformed so many areas of my thinking and my life. I have such a long way to go, but I am seeing myself truly change from the inside out. Oh, I'm just begging with you to just let Jesus do this. You will find an inner joy and a peace. I asked my husband, do you see anything different? he said, yes, peace. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I thought I was thinking it wasn't my imagination. My daughter and I were running yesterday. And um, I I homeschool one of my girls. And so I was running, and she was on her bike. And we were running through this one neighborhood, and we saw this woman coming at us. And she was running in a bikini. And my first thought was what you were all thinking. And then the Lord just, it was instant. I didn't even get to harbor it. I didn't even get to judge her. I didn't even get to go. It was like the Lord immediately just said, don't even go there, honey. I have changed you for this purpose. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, eczema. She has eczema, and she needs vitamin D for her skin. It was a holy moment. (laughs) Oh, ladies, I have such a long way to go. You know, the next minute, I cut somebody off driving. I have such a long way to go, but I'm seeing a change from the inside out, not laws, not doing, but becoming. And I can't wait to do this in community with you. I had one of my leaders call, I'll tell you this story real quickly and we'll end. And one of my leaders call me after a leader meeting for the morning study. And she said, oh, I've just been sick all day, and I need to repent of something. I need to tell you something. And God told me to tell you, and I didn't want to tell you. She said, I left the leader meeting in a snit. I was in a bad mood after the leader meeting. And I said, well, what happened? And she said, well, I came looking to be affirmed. I came looking to be encouraged. And everybody, when everybody was sharing, they were just glorifying God. <laughs> <clears throat> And I didn't even know that's what was bugging me, but I was at a friend's house, and I was trying to be nice to my friend, and I just felt icky. So I asked God, overthrow me. What's going on? And God revealed to me that I was disappointed that he was glorified. <laughs> she said, oh, I can't wait to be overthrown from myself. And it was so exciting because when she called me and told me this, I thought, community. I cannot wait to be overthrown with you. It is going to be so much more to do this in community, to be overthrown, to share with each other the ways in which God is working on us. It'll be an amazing thing that will cause people to say, are you a Christian? Instead of, you're a Christian? John Stott says there is no comment that could be more hurtful to the Christian than the words, but you are no different than anyone else. The kingdom of heaven is broken into earth that we might be different. There's no comment more depressing because it means we're arranging our life around statues of puppies and cowboys and ninjas wearing top hats with signs rather than the cross of Jesus Christ. If we take the truth in Matthew 5 through 7 that God is with us seriously, if we allow God to rearrange our lives with it, revival will break out in our hearts. We will see Jesus' message not as something to do, but as something to become. Amazing and astounding things will happen all around us. And the people around us will be a bit shocked. And some will even be drawn to the cross because of our interchange. C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, enemy-occupied territory, that's what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed you might say, landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. Do you love that? Jesus is speaking. He has landed. Some might say in disguise. And he's calling you and I into a great campaign of sabotage. He's speaking. Are we listening? Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them saying. Those are the opening words to the Sermon on the Mount. Ladies, he sees us. He sees us as the crowd. He's on the hill. He's opened his mouth. Are we going to listen? Let's pray. Father, I pray for your glory and for our good to become the oughtness you have created us to be, to experience the serious business of heaven, I pray that you, by your Spirit, will enable us to listen with our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.